This podcast is brought to you by Ron Adner, author of the just-released book, Winning the Right Game, How to Disrupt, Defend, and Deliver in a Changing World. Additional information, book links, and resources are available at ronadner.com. It happens. Companies fall and companies fail. Even famous ones with iconic brands. Remember Blockbuster Video or Blackberry or JCPenney? And when a giant falls, the autopsy soon follows. Analysts, consultants, professors, and pundits all rush in to explain what happened. And much of the time, they get it right. But what's far more interesting is when they get it wrong. Really wrong. Because when a legion of experts all make the same mistake, it tells us something that goes far beyond a single bankruptcy. It tells us that there's something deeply flawed in our shared understanding of how the world of business works. As Mark Twain once said, what gets us into trouble is not what we don't know. It's what we know for sure that just ain't so. Today's presentation is in three parts. Part one, we revisit the death of an American icon, Kodak, with a new perspective. Part two, why the experts got it wrong, not just at first, but for a full decade after the bankruptcy. Part three, what it all means for you and your organization, why we all need to rethink our approach to strategy in a world of ecosystems. I'm Ron Adner. Thanks for listening. Let's dig in. I bet you've already heard the Kodak story. The iconic American brand, printed photographs, precious memories, life's most important moments. Kodak was born in 1892 and it died in 2012. And since then, people have been talking. Indeed, Kodak may be the most often told, overtold, bankruptcy story of the modern era. And why not? It's a ghost story that's perfect for the executive campfire. And the story goes something like this. First, Kodak dominated chemical photography for decades. And then it invented the digital future. But sadly, Kodak drowned in a sea of organizational inertia, managerial ineptitude, and addiction to earning its profits the old-fashioned way. They failed to adapt. They failed to transform. They were an analog failure in a digital world. And so Kodak lost it all. Now, this story is meant to scare executives. And when it's told... The message is always the same. As we face our own challenges, we must be bolder. We must embrace disruption. We cannot let this happen to us. But there's a problem here. This story, this explanation of why Kodak died, is wrong. The lessons drawn, wrong. The implications for your business, wrong again. Let me tell you the real Kodak story. For starters, Kodak did not let themselves become trapped in the old world of chemicals and film. Okay, in fact, it's very clear from their response to the rise of all things digital that they were very well versed in the challenges of disruptive technology. They understood the profound nature of the analog to digital transformation. 
and they had learned all the cautionary tales of upstarts taking down giants. And they were determined this was not going to happen to Kodak. And so, starting in the year 2000, Kodak's leadership went all in on digital. They accepted that chemical photo printing was going away. They acknowledged that digital photography was inevitable. And they anticipated the big profits that would soon come from digital printing. The mountains of ink cartridges and photo paper that consumers would soon need. And Kodak did not stop after some analysis and planning. They acted. They reorganized. They invested. They invented. And they succeeded. Kodak became the number one seller of digital cameras in the U.S. Kodak became a big contender in inkjet printing, where ink and photo paper did in fact offer sky-high margins. And Kodak fought their way into the digital printing kiosk market, ejecting their arc rival, Fuji, from top retail venues like CVS and Walgreens, where you can still print your digital photos in Kodak's yellow boxes today. So the true Kodak story is one of incredible transformation. None of this would have been possible if Kodak had been asleep at the wheel. The whole notion of a lazy, sluggish, inertia-laden organization, this is simply not true. Kodak managed a near-impossible transition. By 2010, they had become the digital printing company that nobody thought they could be. And still, and yet, nonetheless, they went bankrupt. So what happened? Kodak failed, but not because they could not transform. They succeeded in their transformation. They disrupted themselves. They became a strong digital photo printing company. But there is a big difference between transformation and relevant transformation, between winning and winning the right game. Sadly, just as Kodak was securing its position in the digital printing game, the world shifted. It shifted to digital viewing. People no longer cared about chemical printing versus digital printing. They no longer cared about printing at all. They simply looked at pictures on their screens. And Kodak did not see this coming. In fairness, very few people did. And if you find that hard to believe, go back and read what the experts were saying back then. Remember, back in the early 2000s, when Kodak was in the midst of their massive transformation, screens were not a good way to look at pictures. Your screen choices were tiny screens on portable devices or bulky screens anchored to desktop computers. Screens were helpful for sorting or editing your images, but to enjoy or share them, you wanted paper prints. But then... Well, you know what happened. Screens got better, much better. And screens became available everywhere. Smartphones in your pockets, tablets, notebook computers. Quality viewing was no longer limited to the bulky desktop. And so printing a photo became a rare event, reserved for commemorating a handful of precious images each year. Consumers stopped thinking in terms of photo albums and duplicate prints. And instead, they thought about their phones and their Instagram feeds. People were taking more pictures than ever, but printing fewer than ever. Take a moment to let that irony sink in. The bet on digital imaging was 100% right. 
people were taking more pictures than ever. But the implication, the bet on digital printing, was wrong. In the old world, a camera with an LCD screen was not a threat to a printer. But in the new world, the screen fully replaced the printer and the paper and all that ink that was supposed to generate those mountains of profit. So Kodak achieved its goal of winning in digital printing. But as it turned out, Kodak had won the wrong game. The real battle was not chemical versus digital printing. It was paper versus screens. And this is a different kind of disruption. To see it coming and to manage in its wake, you need a new strategy playbook. For Kodak, the outcomes were crushing. Wasted time, missed opportunities, massive job losses, bankruptcy. The true Kodak lesson is that winning the wrong game can be the same as losing. And you do not want to let this happen to you. And now, part two. Why the experts misdiagnosed Kodak's failure for so long. And the answer in brief is that the current tools of business strategy simply are not up to the task of analyzing this new kind of disruption. A three-minute tour through the history of business strategy will shine a bright light on what I mean. Through the 1980s, the strategy textbook made a grand simplifying assumption that industries, the automotive industry, the airline industry, the fast food industry, industries are well-defined and stable. And within industries, costs are easily analyzed, competitors are readily identified, customers are well understood. The goal was simple, beat your rivals. The ideas from the 1980s, industry analysis, barriers to entry, Porter's five forces, these are still taught in every business school today. And they should be because they're still relevant. But let's think of these ideas as strategy 1.0. This was a perfect guide for Kodak in the decades long battle with Fuji. People were happy with 1.0 right up until the tech boom of the 1990s. And then there was a surge of interest in one simple question. How is it possible that every now and then a little mouse of a company overthrows a titan of industry. Ideas about how high-tech startups could defeat corporate giants spread like wildfire, and nothing spread faster than Clay Christensen's notion of disruptive technology. People began to understand that big companies could get in big trouble when they ignore threats from below, that it can happen very quickly. The new entrant who offers a new twist doesn't need to outperform the giant, it turns out. They simply need to be good enough to satisfy customers and then dazzle them with some new business model. So therefore, winning isn't only about being bigger, faster, and stronger. To thrive over the long run, you have to disrupt. And if you're a titan, you have to somehow overcome the natural resistance in your organization to disrupt yourself before the new kid on the block does it for you. The disruption story is now taught in every business school as well. Let's call it strategy 2.0. It lets us understand how and when it's possible for David to slay Goliath and why Goliath had better embrace change. And this is what the pundits have blamed Kodak's bankruptcy on, 
a failure to embrace change and self-disrupt. But as we just saw, this is flat out wrong. Kodak did change. They did embrace disruption. And they took Strategy 2.0 as their guide for the analog to digital transformation. It was their playbook for fighting the battle in digital printing. But Strategy 2.0 did not save Kodak. Because as we just saw, digital printing was not the relevant battle. As it turns out, both Strategy 1.0 and Strategy 2.0 suffer from the same giant weakness. And here it is. Both assume that competition takes place within a well-defined industry. Consider the classic examples of disruption. Southwest Airlines with their fleet of 737s and nothing else. Still sold. You got it. Plane tickets. Nucor with their minimal technology. Still sold steel by the ton. E-Trade with online stock trading still made their money from trading commissions. You see, David and Goliath both operated inside the boundaries of a long-established industry. For as long as the field of strategy has been around, strategists have studied industries. And that is, of course, very useful. But it also leaves a giant gap in our understanding. Because, as you may already know from your own experience, Industries are not nearly so well-defined as we'd like to posit. Industry boundaries are blurry. Pieces are broken off and then reassembled in new forms. Industries are constantly shifting and reshaping. And more than this, industries are connected to each other. And this goes far beyond supply chains or value chains or stakeholders and complementers. It extends to the rich networks of partnerships, commonly referred to as ecosystems. Now, this word ecosystem is popping up everywhere these days. There's the healthcare ecosystem, the retail ecosystem, the education ecosystem, and so on. Probably because everyone senses, correctly, that the world is becoming more and more interdependent. But in practice, ecosystems are poorly understood and poorly analyzed. And that leads to big blind spots and big problems. So many experts, so many very smart people, misdiagnosed Kodak's downfall. That doesn't happen often, but in this case, we can understand what went awry. The upheaval of the tech boom was staggering and scary, and as a result, strategy 2.0 became incredibly influential. Maybe too influential, because every time a titan like Kodak fell, the autopsy was the same. They didn't disrupt, they didn't adapt, they were trapped by decades of past success. Except, that is not what happened to Kodak. Not at all. And you know, the mistelling of Kodak's story is dangerous. Because the wrong analysis leads to the wrong remedy. One that can actually make you worse off than when you started. Kodak didn't need to make bigger, bolder bets on printing. They needed a different way to choose the game that we're betting on. To understand Kodak, we need strategy 3.0. And the very first premise of 3.0 is that to analyze an industry is to take too narrow a view. Instead, what we need is to analyze ecosystems. That's a big change 
with deep implications. For starters, within an industry, you win by building a unique capability that gives you an advantage over your direct rivals. But in an ecosystem, the balance shifts. It's less about what you can do internally versus rivals and more about what you can do with a unique network of partnerships to change your value proposition. In other words, in 3.0, you have to revisit the very architecture through which value is created. This is the new reality that I see, and it opens a whole new set of possibilities for how companies can win and how they can fail. for part three, what this all means for you. And here it is in brief. In all likelihood, most of the people you work with think about competition too narrowly. They think of rivalry using the tools and concepts that were built for a world of stable industries. But as the Kodak story shows, that can be dangerous. But if you throw away those narrow industry blinders, if you can learn how to analyze the broader ecosystem, you can see much more. You'll be able to anticipate threats from unexpected directions and to avoid the kind of failure we saw with Kodak. Even better, you'll see new opportunities to win. You'll be able to design ecosystem strategies once that change the entire game and put your rivals on the defensive. But to master ecosystems, to make strategy 3.0 real, you'll need new tools, new frameworks, and a new language to expand your field of view. For 25 years as a professor, a researcher, an advisor to companies, that's exactly what I've been trying to help companies do, expand the field of view. My first book, The Wide Lens, published in 2012, was my effort to understand how to innovate in a world of ecosystems. You should read it. But knowing how to innovate in an ecosystem is not the same as knowing how to compete in an ecosystem. And that's the thread I've been pulling on for the past decade. That journey has fundamentally changed the way that I think about strategy and competition. And the culmination of that effort is my new book, Winning the Right Game, How to Disrupt, Defend, and Deliver in a Changing World. As we wrap up, I want to give you a quick overview of the book which is, in essence, a playbook for building an ecosystem strategy. First up is the topic of ecosystem disruption. How do you understand the changing landscape? We take a deeper dive into the Kodak story, and I introduce new concepts and tools that will help you see the many disruptive possibilities in ecosystems. I'll reveal a new dynamic, value inversion, that will give you a new take on disruption. Remember how camera screens were good news for printing until they became bad news? Value inversion describes how complements become substitutes, how friends become foes. And if you don't know how to see it coming, you are a sitting duck for ecosystem disruption. Seeing the world this way will also show us what effective response looks like. And yes, Kodak had strategic options that could have seen it through the storm. Second topic, how do you defend when an ecosystem disruptor attacks? We'll look at how music streamer Spotify faced down the full might of Apple and how online furniture seller Wayfair thrived despite Amazon's attack into their category. I'll introduce the three principles of ecosystem defense 
that explain these apparent miracles and will help you craft your own response to emerging threats. Third, let's talk offense. I'll show you how to reshape ecosystems, collapse industry boundaries, and change the rules of the game. We'll look at how Oprah Winfrey transitioned from TV star to media mogul, blurring the lines between broadcasting, publishing, and wellness as she did so. We'll also examine a century-old maker of mechanical locks, Asa Abloy, and its transformation into a guardian of digital identity. And finally, we'll look at how Amazon, at the time a technology underdog, seized the lead in digital voice assistance by changing the game on Apple, Google, and Microsoft. There's a lot more. We'll talk about how to get the timing of disruption just right, neither too early nor too late, by examining the race for self-driving cars. We'll explore leadership at the level of firms as well as individuals, and we'll think about strategies for smart followership, which can be an incredibly profitable approach to ecosystems. And most importantly, throughout the book, we will develop a new language that will help you communicate your ecosystem strategy to everyone in your organization, which is, of course, the key to moving from ideas to action. Expanding your strategic lens from industries to ecosystems is challenging, but it's also energizing because it opens new doors and new opportunities. I am always excited to share ideas about competing in ecosystems, and I know that you'll find my new book, Winning the Right Game, to be a helpful guide. Thank you for listening today. If you know someone else who would benefit from these ideas, please point them to both the book and to this podcast. For more about me and my books, please visit my website, ronadner.com, where you'll find more information and more resources. You can even download an excerpt from the book. Thanks again. This podcast has been brought to you by Ron Adner. Script development, original music, and audio production by Chris Trimble and Treehouse Audio Productions.